Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eyes Show. I am your host, Jason Napolitano, and I have on co-host, Mr. Chris Sheridan. What is going on, Chris? Everything's going on. It's another beautiful day here, and uh, I hope uh, people across the country and the world are experiencing at least some decent weather with all the nastiness. Oh, yeah, right. uh, you know, it's our earth. It's uh, seasons. There's weather. There's climate. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a weather phenomenon to be reminded uh, of how close to nature we really are. Absolutely. I think, uh, and we're going to be talking about that today. That's a, that's a good uh, a good segue. I think sometimes because, you know, we've talked about this before, but because we live in uh, our comfortable homes that we live in, you know, thank God, uh, sometimes I think we get a little disconnected from the natural world. Uh, we kind of forget that we are a part of it. We are, you know, it is our home. It is our very mother, this earth. And so, you know, we have to kind of remind ourselves sometimes, especially when we're kind of too bogged down in technology and too kind of, you know, comfortable in our homes to, you know, to get out there and feel the change of seasons, you know, notice what the moon's doing. It was beautiful last night. There was a beautiful full moon, uh, as I'm sure you went, you know, outside and saw um you know and things like that so notice these cycles notice these changes you know feel them become a part of their rhythms uh so today today we are working from a new book uh, that both of us got it's called spiritual ecology the cry of the earth and we may uh, hit two or three of these essays in here we'll see uh it's a it's a nice compilation it's edited by Llewellyn Von Lee who's uh, a very interesting uh uh, eco spiritual figure. He's a he's a Sufi, uh, an Englishman who uh, speaks quite a bit on the environment and on uh, the connection between uh, our souls and the soul of the natural world. And that is really what we're talking about today in this particular essay. We're looking at the care of the soul of the world uh, by Bill Plotkin. And Bill Plotkin is uh, another one of these interesting people out there, he's, he's an activist, he speaks about the natural environment, so on, he's a teacher, he calls himself an initiatory guide, and he's also a depth psychologist, so you can see more about him online. Uh, you saw quite a few videos up on YouTube, right? Videos? Uh, I actually listened to him on uh, as a guest on other people's podcasts. That's okay. Uh, but probably video as well. Okay, perfect. Uh, so you can search for Bill Plotkin, P-L-O-T-K-I-N, on YouTube and get some more information uh, and see what he's all about. And then he has something called uh, the, let me, what is that called? The Atlas Valley Institute, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's in Colorado. So that's an organization that he runs. So both of those are great things. But uh, so we're using this, uh, this essay as kind of a jumping off point. What we're talking about, as uh, the title suggests, is the care of the soul uh, of the world. Uh, but what it doesn't say in the title and what this thing is mainly about, this essay, and what we're going to speak about today is our soul, our sort of individual soul, our sort of subjective view of the world, part of it, and how that uh, plays into what's known as the anima mundi and depth psychology or union psychology, which is the soul of the world. That comes from uh, Plato's work. Plato talked about uh, this idea of the, the world's soul or the universe's soul, uh, and then they translated that into anima mundi, which is Latin for a world soul, and they use that term these days. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that, our own souls, 
um, elders, the idea of elders, uh, and more. So we'll jump right into that into a, in, a, in, in a second. Uh, Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky, and I'm the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate, and both of those, of course, are available on Amazon. Uh, you can support us at anchor.fm slash cosmic eye if you like what we're doing here, and we, we would appreciate your help. And thank you so much for those who are supporting us. We greatly appreciate you guys who are listening, who are donating, who are interacting, and so on. So please feel free to uh, uh, send us email at info at cosmic eye if there's a subject you'd like us to talk about. Uh, and so forth. So again, last uh, last week on the podcast, we talked a little bit about our new direction, and this this show is going to be more in line with uh, with that new direction we're taking, where we're going to be really focusing on eco uh, spiritual subjects, eco spiritual subjects. So the intersection of, of ecology and spirituality, uh, and we're really you know trying to help create a revolution, an inner revolution, as it were, a spiritual revolution uh, that helps to change the world for the better. We are in uh, dire straits, as we know, uh, in terms of the, the climate, in terms of climate change, species, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, lack of biodiversity and so forth. And I lost my train of thought there. Sorry about that. Um, and so, you know, we don't need to get into all that. Uh, we all see the news and the negative stuff. What we're trying to talk about is what we can do uh, to try to make things better. Uh, so we're going to focus on that. And as a part of that, again, we're going to jump into the care and the soul of the world, this Bill Plotkin essay. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the idea of the soul of the world, the anima mundi, as you understand it? Just kind of uh, start that out, and then we can kind of riff on that a bit and how that relates to our own personal soul? Sure. Um, and I think, well, I'll, I'll do it through the lens of Bill Plotkin since he wrote this essay, because um, I think he had some good points. Um, first of all, uh, the word soul, first of all, is it's one that sometimes gets used for many different things or to describe many different things. Uh, so really to kind of clarify, uh, at least today, what we're talking about soul, uh, and, and maybe in a larger sense, um, you could say, oh, body, mind, and soul, or oh, body, mind, and spirit, where his spirit and soul get interchanged. Undoubtedly, it's a more spiritual part of ourselves, um, but there's this idea of, you know, we can all think, oh, I feel it in my soul, or it's my soul's longing. My soul is crying out for connection or things like that, we use on a very deep, deep personal level. It's not, oh, my head hurts, I can't wrap my head around this, or oh, my body aches. When you feel something in your soul, it's, it's a different place <laughs> within you. Uh, and it's this notion of place that is where it resides uh, is what uh, Mr. Plotkin gets into. And the soul is seen as the place where it is the most effective its location, its position uh, is in its proper place. And by place, it's this position where it can do what it needs to do. If you have the soul of an adventurer, well, maybe stuck in an office in a studio apartment um, for years on end might not be nurturing this adventurous soul <laughs> or that part of your soul that is adventurous. So it would probably not be in its proper place. Uh, so you might 
feel frustrated and things like that and just get it out and go on vacation or take a sabbatical. Um, and then you can reconnect with your soul or that part of your soul that's longing for something. Uh, and it's so important uh, that it's, it can affect our health if we're really not honoring our soul. And he goes on to talk about different levels, but also there's this notion of the soul of the world. Now we can talk about the Gaia principle, how you know the earth is a you know, complex ecosystem of uh, many different, uh, like you were talking about biodiversity, many different forms of life. Uh, and that so much so the in of itself is a living organism with the rocks and the trees and the birds and everything else. Uh, that's a great, uh, great theory. A lot of people really are on board with that. It really makes a lot of sense. We live in a system uh, that is very comprehensive, this global, this world. Um, so this notion of the world as a living being um, has really been talked about a lot, but where Plotkin goes on even deeper is that the soul of the world, uh, that yes, it has a body and it has a life and it has living uh, principles and uh, an environment you know, conducive for life, um, but that living thing has a soul and that's its proper place. That's its position also where it is the most expressive of its true nature that it can thrive and uh, live its proper destiny. And he, I'll just finish with this, is that, you know, he connects the two, that the care of our soul is the care of the world soul. To care for the world soul uh, is also taking care of us because our souls individually, our personal soul, uh, that we have our own position, that we are most uh, suited for our proper expression, uh, is so that the work we do on ourselves is helping the world. The work we do to care for the world is helping us individually. And I think that's just a really great point that he makes. That is a great point. And I think really that's kind of the, the gist, the main gist uh, and main focus of this book as, uh, as a whole. I think that most of the uh, essays in it uh, contribute to that, uh, that, that overall viewpoint. And I think it's not unfair to say that he also... Uh, he also seems to postulate, and I think this is a very uh, interesting and valuable idea, that really the the ecological crisis that we find ourselves in is a is a soul crisis. It's a it's a crisis of spirituality in essence, and you know repairing that uh, sort of separation between the world soul, the anima mundi, the universe as a whole, the earth as a as a living entity you know, as our home. And then, you know, that, that separation between our own sort of quote unquote individual soul, a subjective viewpoint from which we, we see things as we see them uh, is, is the, uh, you know, is, is, is the problem. So the separation, see, we see ourselves uh, in, in this society and he, he uses a really interesting term. He calls it a patho adolescent society. Uh, and he's, he uses that term uh, to kind of um, point out the, you know, the sort of consumerist materialist society, materialistic society that we live in, very egocentric uh, type of society, a very human-centric society, which isn't in and of itself wrong, but it, it doesn't, 
uh, it doesn't value that viewpoint, that pathoadolescent uh, viewpoint doesn't value uh, the things around the other living creatures, the, the non-speaking creatures like trees and plants and you know, land itself and rivers and lakes and all the different inhabitants, you'd call them, uh, of, of the earth as um, being intrinsically valuable. This patho-adolescent viewpoint sees all of those things simply as resources to be used by human beings. And so even the people that are, you know, so-called caring for the earth really are only, you know, if you're still stuck in that viewpoint, are only thinking about those things because they want to use them for some sort of economic purpose and they don't want them to be lost. And he contrasts that with the, you know, sort of world soul anima mundi sort of point of view, whereby one sees everything being an interconnected, valuable, intrinsically valuable. In other words, it has worth just because it's alive, just because it exists. Um, system. And the universe itself, the idea of the anima mundi, you know, the world soul, the universe itself is a living thing. And we can't presume to understand as human beings necessarily the purpose of it, what, how it's unfolding. You know, we can tap into it. We can ask it for guidance. We can, you know, we can occasionally get flashes of insight but for us to, you know, have this egocentric point of view that we've, you know, we've figured out all the mysteries through our, you know, scientific observations and, and all of that is, is pretty arrogant, you know, and I think that's the point that he's trying to make that we need to get into communion with the earth uh, again and not just see it as some sort of, uh, I don't know, for lack of a bit like a factory for our, you know, producing our needs, you know what I mean? Right. And it's, and it does provide our needs, the earth, the environment, nature. Sure. Yeah. And the air and the water. Um, we need it. We depend on it for our survival. Um, but it, it's more than just management of resources. I think we're yeah. talking about, or, well, this is broken. We need to fix this. It's really looking at the entire system and, and know that there's a deeper life. Um, with it. And, you know, if it's difficult to understand or think that the world might have a soul, I think a lot of people are kind of there in their own lives as well. Maybe there's a, you know, this lack of maturity uh, is really with ourselves as much as it is uh, this perpetual adolescence, you know, as we view the world, uh, maybe our own bodies, our own environment, our own psyche. Um, we're treating it ourselves <laughs> uh, through this this lens of of immaturity and you know growth is is the natural state of life it's to grow things grow and even the winter when things close down and go underground and hibernate and shrivel up uh, it's so that they can come back out and grow some more and have another generation of groundhogs and you know birds and things like that uh, so it's this continual growing and we are part of this world so we need to continually grow yeah. and grow, i don't necessarily mean have a faster processor chip every two years uh, that is a type of growth um but this maturity this growing within uh, and as we do that we, you grow in your relationship to the people around you your own community uh to the earth uh, of people of all communities, you know, this brotherhood, this we're all in this together, we're all in 
all one in this world um, is not just a, you know, a platitude. I mean, there's, there's real truth to that. Now, it, like you were talking about the elders that he gets to, um, and we've lost touch with some of the wisdom that keeps us connected um, to this larger life within and around us. Sure, exactly. And who better to help somebody grow and mature than someone who's already done that, a mature elder? Um, Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because he said, you know, there's, and you can kind of see this, it's pretty easy to, to view, but, you know, there's kind of a, there's a lack of, of genuine, you know, elders, genuine true elders out there, unfortunately. And so uh, that's one of the sort of calls of this, uh, this paper is to really look at that and to kind of understand how we ourselves can start to embody those, those that role as elders, regardless uh, of our age. And we'll get into some more of that uh, towards towards the end. Uh, but I do, uh, I want to point out a little bit that, you know, in, you know, what he calls that, that our sort of patho adolescent society, you know, there is a genuine uh, genuine sort of, I don't want to say distrust, but there's a, there's a kind of fear of aging. There's a fear of becoming wise, becoming an elder. And there's a, you know, there's a fighting against aging, you know, both physically and mentally, you know, no one wants to grow up. Everybody wants to remain a, a kid. They don't want to be responsible for anything, you know, that that's sort of, it's sort of perpetuated in the culture. Just, uh, you know, take some time you know, when you're watching TV or when you're, you know, looking at ads online and so on, and, and, and look at the, look at the message that you're being sort of fed, you know, because we, we, we're fed such a steady diet of this since the time we're very young that it almost just, we don't even really question it. Um, but you do see this emphasis on youth, on, on sort of, on vitality, on rebelliousness, on, you know, independence. And, you know, those are qualities that are, are good, they're not, they're not bad qualities. Uh, unfortunately, I would argue that, you know, most Western cultures, particularly the United States, we, we have a, an overabundance of that kind of energy. Um, what, we, what we probably need to work on, I wouldn't say probably, what we definitely need to work on um, to move forward is more community-oriented uh, ideas, a, a communal understanding of nature. In other words, we're communing with nature and not just thinking of it as a resource, communing with our neighbors, in essence, it's community. That's, that's what the idea is. And so thinking more holistically in an interconnected way and valuing, uh, you know, valuing people and things and the environment and having a natural, you know, understanding their, their worth and their intrinsic value, their soul, um, you know, instead of just thinking of someone as a means to an end or a thing as a resource to be used. And again, you know, we will use resources and we do need the earth to survive uh, and we do need each other, but our, our, our viewpoint needs to shift to that of interdependence and community oriented thinking and a, and a more holistic and global sort of thinking. Uh, otherwise we're, we're not going to survive. And I think that's the sad reality of it. And that's the part of the reason why I think people you know, oftentimes don't want to listen to uh, things about the environment because it seems so overwhelming. Uh, it seems so overwhelming, but, you know, I want to encourage you to uh, 
uh, not be overwhelmed. Certainly, you know, get the get some facts, and you know, if you're if you're, you know, if you want to delve into some of these things, you're not you know, if you're new to this this idea, you know, the idea of climate change and the idea of you know, uh, destruction of the environment. So you know, read read up on it, but don't let it over overwhelm you because it is not, um, you know, it is not the end. It's not the end. You know that you know we're it, there's definitely. Uh, you know, we're, we're in, I, I would agree we're in danger, but we can't give up regardless of, of what people tell you. Oh, it's too late to do anything. It's this, that, you know, there's varying opinions on all of this. And I, I'm, I'm going to err on the side of, of, of positivity and saying that, you know, with spiritual and physical and, you know, psychological changes uh, taking place within ourselves and then us, you know, radiating that those changes outwards, a small number of people can do in incredible things. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, definitely. And the one quick way to go to when you start feeling overwhelmed or powerless to change some of these things that are happening to the environment or uh, our ecology uh, is to look at your own environment and your own ecology and your personal soul uh, as, as a way of contributing towards healing the soul of the world as well as the environment in which we live and, uh, and, and know that there is so much power in the individual. Um, small things can make huge changes. Uh, we can talk about Gandhi and the, the loom, how basically the whole independence movement um, in India uh, in the last century uh, going up against the British Empire and colonialism, uh, it wasn't really fought and won with weapons. It was the loom. It was, and it's, you know, there was more to it, but there was a huge part of it. And that's why the spinning wheel is on the, uh, the flag of India, because uh, the short version is that um, to go up against this economic might, uh, that he had people uh, in their own homes uh, make, you know, a little bit of yarn and make a little bit of fabric uh, and then putting that all together uh, at least with the textile industry um, you know able to make some big revolutionary changes but it was a, a lot of people doing a lot of very small things in their own home so if you go to the store and you buy you have a choice to you know, there's more than two but there's plenty of choices for every single product you could imagine uh, maybe pick the one that has you know, the, the best, uh, you know, packaging that's the least offensive, not these big plastic vacuum things, get one that comes in the box or, you know, little things like that, you know, taking your bag to the grocery store, I think is a, a common one, but there's so many ways. Um, and because that sends a larger signal, it ripples out. If you don't buy a product because of the packaging and you buy this other one because it has better packaging, well, the buyer at the store who stocks the shelves are going to say, well, we seem to sell more of these, so we'll order more of these. Then the factory gets more orders. So you're really, it's, it's hard to see. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, maybe it's impossible, um, but never doubt uh, or question the, the effectiveness that each one of us can have individually to make one small change in one way, one decision we make each day. And it's not just packaging and you know planting a garden and things like that. All those things are great. It's also in the environment in which we live, the psychic environment. Is it one of tension, stress, um, anger, uh, frustration, 
Um, are you contributing to that? Or are you maybe putting out some calming, healing, positive vibes? Uh, that has a trickle down, I guess, more of a ripple out. Um, very, very powerful effect. Uh, you may not even see the results of it. You could smile at somebody um, at, uh, well, it's hard to see a smile with all the masks now, but maybe you could wink at somebody in a smiling way, um, you know, at the coffee shop. And, you know, maybe that was the one gesture that person, you know, had been looking for for days and finally got and maybe just made their day. And you would have no idea that you did that. Um, but do know and get behind the idea that your decisions, uh, whether they're psychic or the you know, commercial, uh, can make a big difference in your life and literally the world. Absolutely, absolutely, and that yeah, that's a good point. It's those little, uh, those invisible things, those energetic uh, things, those interactions, the the thoughts that you think, the feelings that you have, the you know the little interactions you actually have, uh, you know, uh, with people and so on. They they do add up to a to a psychic in, environment that that influences the the physical environment. Absolutely, that's a great point. Uh, let's talk a little bit about more about elders and then we're going to get into um, a few a few things that you can do to kind of get involved and to, to help. Uh, so the idea then of elders and an elder you know is really just a, a wise person. Traditionally it's someone that's that's an older person that's you know that's lived many years and has accumulated wisdom. Uh, but the role of elders, you know if you want to think in indigenous culture and you know even in European culture and in, uh, in times gone by, a more traditional, you know, sort of agrarian European culture, the, you know, there were elder, you know, wise women and men and so on that would be consulted in the village or in the hamlet or whatever, and, you know, and so forth. This was a, this was a thing that certainly was a part of European culture as well, um, you know, before industrialization and, and, and all of that, but, um, but it's the idea of really uh, an elder being kind of a defender of the soul of the world, a guardian of the soul of the world, in essence, a guardian of culture, you know, a person of, 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 uh, of, of sort of, they had a sort of fierce quality of uh, defending, defending things, defending children, defending, you know, a way of life. Uh, there's that certain quality that you can see to a, to a wise a wise one or an elder and it's you know it's the sort of tempered quality and you talked a little bit about how uh, uh before we got on into the show about how the dalai lama spoke about that and there was a kind of there's a kind of a what did he call it a mature a mature anger yes a mature anger so it's sort of a righteous anger that one might bring to to an issue, and sometimes you need that. I mean, sometimes you need that sort of fierce quality of a of a warrior, the warrior's spirit. But of course, it's tempered. It's tempered with compassion. It's tempered with love. You know, it doesn't turn into hostility. It doesn't turn into hatred. That's the difference. So you bring in that quality of compassion and love, but you may be sort of motivated by some mature anger. And when, you know, when we look around and we see them cutting down old growth forests and we see them, you know, we see people abusing children and we see, you know, these terrible conditions in factory farms with the, with the you know, with the animals and so on, it, it makes us angry. You know, we see people polluting the oceans with abandon and raping the, the earth and, you know, the natural environment, it, it makes us angry and, it, and rightfully so. But we can't let that turn in on us we can't let it overwhelm us and we can't let it 
make us hostile and hate because we'll be playing into you know the negative quality the dark side if you will of the force right uh so you know a little star wars reference for those of you who grabbed that one i'm sure most of us have seen it um so we're going to talk then a little bit about the role of elders um so he he lists a few interesting things about first i'm going to point these out and i'll just kind of list these out so what if you you know since there are a, there are few true elders uh you know here's sort of three things that we can do to sort of uh, foster the the idea of elders support elders and so on in in, in occurring and, and and starting to you know be able to have more influence so one he he says you can support the work of the true elders that are out there uh, that we do find and there are individuals out there uh, certainly and you know i can think of a couple i mean he he's i would argue he's a great elder bill plotkin uh, certainly people like uh uh, Jeff Lawton and Bill Mollison, who uh, do great work in permaculture. You have people like Vandana Shiva, who's doing a lot of seed saving and organic farming in India, fighting against Monsanto. Um, I mean, there's, there's, you know, you can look at the work of Thomas Berry. Um, I mean, there's, there's, once you get onto, even if you just get onto YouTube and start sort of look at the work of the Bioneers, uh, B-I-O-N-E-R-R-S, N-E-E-R-S, excuse me. Um, you know, those are just a few things off the top of my head um, uh, that, I, that I can think of. Uh, of course, you know, the, the, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the Buddhist uh, teacher, uh, speaks a lot about mindfulness and the environment. Uh, there's there's like Joanna Macy. These are all different individuals. And of course, I'm not going to be able to list, list everyone. And I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving out, you know, tons of important figures. Uh, but these are some of the elders and you know that are that are doing great work or in lions he's a great figure he's an onondaga uh, a tribal figure a chief uh of of, of that tribe um his he's doing great work and so on so so these are some of the elders that are out there that we can find of course you may know your own i don't know did you have anybody that pops into your head when you think of elders that uh that are they're worth listening to in this movement it could be anybody you know yeah, anybody. Well, Manly P. Hall is is one who um, he was an old man when he was in his twenties. Uh, <laughs> he dressed and carried himself and sp spoke, um, and he did that for seventy years. And fortunately, there's just a lot of uh, his talks uh, available on online and everything. And uh, you know, some of it's the words uh, that the content uh, that's being spoken. Uh, and some of it is really the tone, uh, the cadence, uh, the pitch, the rhythm, um, the quality of the voice, the resonance. Um, I think that's a, an aspect of elders that it's, it's not just spouting wise information, which is very important. It's also how that's being communicated. You know, it's very much a that that is part of the healing, that is part of the informing itself, that is part of the wisdom that's being imparted is the mannerism. I saw the, we were talking about the Dalai Lama, I saw him speak uh, years ago when I was in college and, um, and he talked about the same thing. Actually, he talked about anger, uh, how it's a, it's a life 
force that is the first thing a baby does when it's born. It wants to get to the nipple and suckle and, and you know, survive and, and do those things. It's to fight for life. You know, a horse tries to stand up at birth and a fish needs to swim or, you know, whatever it needs to do to, uh, but it's like a, there's a <laughs> real anger um, as a motivating factor uh, that can, can uh, really be important, very necessary, but it's towards life. It's towards solution, it's towards healing. Uh, whereas if anger festers and turns into hatred, uh, then you just have destruction uh, and it's not helping anybody. Yeah, exactly. You know, but, uh, and I guess to reiterate what, uh, um, uh, what he said, I'll just give a direct quote. The elder's foremost desire is for all beings to be allowed their true place. And I think that's really, you know, it's not saying, well, what's right for everybody is right for you. There's a discernment and um, really a way of, you know, absorbing, you know, the times <laughs> in which we live, the environment and the individual and what their qualities are and what they might be suited for. I know this even from office, <laughs> office work years ago that, you know, well, if somebody's nitpicky and um, very critical around the office, we'll, we'll put them to in quality control and they can proofread everything and pick all the nits they want, that they would be suited for that. Uh, so it's like personality traits. And I think that's so important is to, to be in a position doing a thing in a way uh, that, that you're best suited for, because why wouldn't you? I mean, that would be, that would make more sense. Uh, we don't always find that because we don't always know. And again, that's the role that we're talking about is an elder would be able to notice that, would be able to recognize the larger picture and how this person with their personality fits in this system of say the tribe or the village in which they live and would also know that here, call this person, they'll be able to help you out. Maybe they can give you a position at the clothing store or whatever, um, you know, that it might you know, fit who you are. Um, so I, I think that's really important if, that it's not a one size fits all saying, well, this is what the tribe must do. This is what we all have to do. It's, there may be a larger goal that we all have to be part of, but the individual function, like the different gears and springs in a watch, um, all work together for this larger purpose, but they also have their individual function, uh, that is very necessary that they serve that position and do it in the best way that they can. And I think if, you know, that would be a great gift if we had more elders in, in society that were able to um, help people find a better position. Absolutely. Great point. Um, great point. So that, so that falls under that category of, of supporting the work of those true elders that we do find. And then of course, you know, looking to and looking to the past as well, looking at those elders that are no longer with us, but that are, you know, wise, uh, wise individuals such as Manly Hall, and, you know, even looking back to Plato and, uh, you know, the early Greek philosophers and so on and, 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 and others. Uh, great point. Great point. Uh, the second thing uh, that he points out you can do is to uh, start, join, and support groups that perform what he calls cultural eldering. So in other words, the, there's a sort of eldering quality or elder quality to the 
to the purpose of uh, of an organization. It might be a conservation group, or it might be a uh, you know an intentional community. It might be a spiritual group. I, you know, again, the, the 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 list is endless. And this, like uh, Chris pointed out, you know, one size does not fit all. So you've got to find a place where your soul seems to fit uh, if you want to get involved with something. Uh, and then uh, you know that's that's a great way to to start to uh, to help foster that sort of elder wisdom out in the world. And again, it doesn't necessarily uh, have anything to do with age. You might be a young person. Uh, there's you know there, there's ways that you can help support that 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 elder wisdom uh, even in your own self, uh, which leads me into uh, the third point that he brings up. Uh, in this, and it's to tap into the wisdom of the elder within you, and that is regardless of where you are, uh, you know, in, in age, where you are in life, you may be, you know, older, you may be younger, but within us, we have, uh, you know, what, uh, what they might have called uh, the wise old man archetypal figure or the wise old woman. Uh, each of us has these, these different parts of ourselves, uh, these archetypal parts of ourselves that you might call an elder within. Uh, and you can begin to foster a sort of relationship with that part of yourself. Uh, so, and of course, um, you know, Jung's done great work and all the archetypal psychologists have done great work in that area. So that's something that you might begin to foster is tapping into that, that elder within you. So those are, those are three, uh, three ways that you can, you know, get involved with this idea and then just to kind of begin to notice and just to be more aware and more mindful of what's going on around you uh, you know your own personal environment and what you're contributing you know your own soul and how it's related to the the world soul and really just kind of observing and paying attention and slowing down that helps a lot uh, you know in the world soul will communicate with us if we take time I mean go sit by a river go sit by a tree go stroll through a park Listen to the birds, listen to the wind, look at the moon, watch this, you know, look at the stars and the planets at night and, and, and listen, you know, develop a, a quality of receptivity, uh, nature and the soul of the world will speak to us, ask it what it needs. You know, what can I do for you? How can you inform me to move forward to, to, to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem? Things like that, right? Creating a dialogue. Uh, with the soul of the world within and without, you know, and there really is no separation. There really is no separation. You know, there's a, there's a unity of, of consciousness uh, in and through this, uh, this entire existence uh, that we inhabit. So keep that in mind. Any parting ideas, Chris? Well, on this idea of being connected more closely to the earth, uh, take your shoes off and stick your feet in the grass. Uh, there's a whole movement called earthing um, or grounding. And it's literally that grounding with a, an electric circuit or even a bolt of lightning. Um, it needs to find the ground and that's usually in the actual ground. It's not a metaphor, it's, it's the ground. <laughs> uh, and that's where it goes to complete the electrical circuit. Um, we are separated from the earth uh, with the materials of our cars and carpeting and our shoes. Uh, we're not barefoot, uh, so we're not connecting with the, literally connecting with the earth uh, in ways that we had been in, throughout our history. Uh, and even in a place where it's cold, they make 
grounding mats or pads that have a wire that run outside through your window and into a spike that's <laughs> hammered into the ground. Uh, and then you push your feet on this copper mesh and it will, um, you know, you will, you're still connected to the ground through electrically, uh, through conducting materials like copper. Uh, so this being grounded, and I think, and then when you can do that, if you can take your shoes off and uh, if you're, if it's warm enough, if not, try to find a grounding pad or something, stick your hands in the dirt uh, to, to literally connect with the earth because, you know, we have a North and South pole uh, and it is a giant electromagnetic structure. Uh, and to wear rubber shoes, we're, those are insulators, not conductors. You're doing the opposite. You're actually <laughs> separating from that. So to get in tune with that, and at that point, um, ask what you can do, what it needs, what, what the earth can do for you, maybe. Uh, it's, it's a connection that we both need uh, with each other. We all need with each other uh, amongst everybody as individuals, but each of us need to connect with our connection um, with the earth. And um, yeah, when it gets warm, take your shoes off and stick your feet in the dirt, in the grass. I love it. I love it. That's a great, very physical way to really get back in touch with that, uh, with that, uh, you know, the, with the earth uh, and that part of ourselves that that needs that connection, that needs that connection, um, you know, and that's a way for our soul uh, to connect to the to the anima mundi, the, the world soul uh, through that energetic uh, exchange. Great, great point. Thank you. All right. So the care of the soul of the world, Bill Plotkin. Uh, in the book, Spiritual Ecology, The Cry of the Earth is what we uh, talked about and other things today. Uh, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky. I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. Uh, you can reach us at info at cosmiceye.org or go to cosmiceye.org. Uh, check out Manly Hall lectures who Chris mentioned. Uh, I'm sure you've heard us mention Manly Hall before uh, on the Manly Hall Society. Uh, Chris does a great job of putting up uh, beautifully, uh, beautifully audio, uh, how can I say this, cleaned up, I guess, uh, work of Manly Hall. Some of the stuff is older, and Chris has done a tremendous job cleaning up that audio and providing uh, beautiful lectures by Manly Hall, Manly Hall Society on YouTube. Uh, so that's going to do it for us. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate your help. Well, thank you. Great topic for today. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll be back again next week, and let's uh, let's be part of this eco-spiritual revolution. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Goodbye, and God bless. <laughs>